one of the most dramatic stories of transformation in all of literature is found in a very small book by Dr. Seuss called Green Eggs and Ham. Uh, You probably read this as a child, maybe you've read it to your kids as an adult, but uh, let me summarize the story for a moment. The main character remains unnamed, actually, throughout the course of the book, but when you hit the beginning of the book, this guy right here hates green eggs and ham, right? He hates it. He doesn't want it. He doesn't like it. And in fact, not only does he not like green eggs and ham, he doesn't like Sam I Am, who wants him to eat green eggs and ham, remember? And so he says, I don't like Sam I Am. I don't like green eggs and ham. Sam I Am, throughout the course of the book, presses his case over and over and over again. Would you eat them here or there? Would you eat them anywhere? Would you eat them with a mouse in a house, with a fox in a box? All throughout the book, Sam I Am is a little evangelist for green eggs and ham. That's his mission. The main character continues to say, I will not, I will not eat them, I do not want them, until finally you hit the climax of this tour de force of literature. And at that point, what happens is Sam I Am says, look, if you'll try it, you might like it. And so our main character says, sure, if you'll leave me alone, I'll try it. He tries it, and what does he find? I like green eggs and ham, right? I would eat them with a fox in a box, with a mouse in a house. Everywhere I would eat them, anywhere, here or there. I would eat them, right? And all of a sudden, his life is changed. And he is no longer the person that he was at the beginning of our little story. He is totally changed. His perspective toward Sam I Am, toward green eggs and ham, toward everything that we know of his life, it's all different. Now, what causes that? Well, in a nutshell, it it is partly because he tries green eggs and ham, but it's partly because he has a life-changing encounter with a person, right? With Sam I Am. By getting to know Sam I Am, by hearing his point of view, he changes. Now, the reason I share that is only partly to make you relive your childhood, but also because it illustrates a point for us, and that is this, that life change most often happens and most effectively happens when we encounter another person. So, for example, somebody who struggles with racism might encounter somebody of another race or ethnicity, and as a result of that encounter or that relationship, they change their perspective or their attitude. Uh, I've known uh, guys who are negative toward romance and Valentine's Day and everything accompanying it, and then what happens? They meet her, right? And all of a sudden, their perspective changes. They're writing sonnets. They're buying flowers, right? They're skipping through the blue bonnets and everything in their life transforms. The way they view love and romance and all of those things changes because they meet a person. Now, if we change as a result of our encounters with people, it's much more true that we change as a result of encountering God. When you and I encounter God, it changes us. And that is illustrated throughout the Bible over and over and over again. We are beginning a new sermon series this summer on the subject of what we call theophanies. Theophany is a word that simply means appearance of God. And the idea is when God appears to people. Sometimes he appears as a bright light. Sometimes people hear a voice. Sometimes he appears as an angel or as a human being. But God appears to people throughout the Bible in all kinds of ways. When he does, people are changed. Think of Moses at the burning bush. God appears to him in the form of a burning bush and he commissions Moses to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses embarks on a mission. 
You think of Joshua prior to the battle of Jericho. We talked about that last week, and the angel of the Lord appears to him. Think of Elijah, and God appears to him and speaks to him as a quiet, gentle whisper. And so God appears in a lot of different ways. In fact, the author of Hebrews in the New Testament says that, that throughout history, God appears to people in many different ways, many different avenues. And yet, every time someone encounters God, their life is changed. That is especially true of Saul, who we know as Paul the Apostle. We're going to talk this morning about his encounter with God through the risen Jesus Christ. Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, and as a result of that encounter, nothing about his life was ever the same. He went from being a person who hated Christians, who hated Jesus, to a person who spent his life three decades until he died. He spent his life sharing the message that Jesus had died and Jesus was risen. He spent the rest of his life being persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's such a radical transformation that some who don't believe in Jesus have tried to explain it other ways. They've said, what could cause this kind of a change in this person? So they say, well, maybe there was a psychological problem. Maybe he needed a good therapist to sort out what was going on in his life. Uh, Others have said, maybe there was a physical issue. Maybe he ate a bad sandwich or something, and that changed the course of his life. Because it's such a radical transformation. As you read the New Testament, you realize that it's a transformation that only occurs when one encounters God. And as we look at the life of Paul this morning, as we look particularly at his conversion, the question to ask is, do you and I believe that encountering Jesus Christ has the power to transform? Do you believe that encountering Jesus Christ has the power to transform? To transform not only you and me, to change the way we think about ourselves, to think about God, to change the things that we do, to change our understanding of our purpose in life. Can an encounter with Jesus change all of that about us? And then can it change the people we know? When you go to work, when you see your neighbors, when you speak with your family, and you look around and you see people that you'd say, you know what, their perspective and their mindset is not centered on God. And there are probably people that you say, that person is far away from God. Do you believe that an encounter with Jesus Christ can transform even those who are far away? That's what the life of Paul illustrates to us. So we're going to begin in Acts chapter 9. We're going to see how Paul is changed as a result of his encounter with Jesus. Acts chapter 9, I'm going to start in verse 1. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. 
The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate or drank. So when we begin this passage, what we see is Saul is headed to Damascus, and it says he is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. Now, a little background from the book of Acts. The reason it says he's still doing that is because Saul is first introduced in Acts chapter 7. And he is standing by at the execution of Stephen. Stephen is the first Christian martyr in the book of Acts. And he is stoned to death for his testimony of Jesus Christ. And right at the end of Acts chapter 7, it says this guy Saul, this young man Saul, is standing by holding their robes while they stoned Stephen to death. He would hold their robes so that as they stooped down to get stones and as they stepped forward to throw them, they wouldn't get dirty. You don't want to get dirty while you're killing someone with rocks, right? So Saul would hold the robes. He is a little apprentice persecutor when we first meet him at the end of Acts chapter 7. And then Acts chapter 8, we see that Saul decides this is going to be the mission and the purpose of my life. I'm going to persecute the church of Jesus Christ. So he goes from house to house. Back then, their churches did not meet in buildings like this, but in homes. So he goes from home to home. He grabs the Christians, he drags them out, and he takes them to jail. And that's his mission. Now we hit Acts 9, and it says he's still doing that. He's still breathing threats and murder. Why? Who is this guy, and what are his motivations for wanting to destroy the church? Well, as you learn about Paul's story, What you learn is that Paul is raised in a strictly Jewish home. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, he's going to say, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. What he means by that is my parents are Jewish, and we didn't speak Greek like some Jews. We spoke the Hebrew language. We learned the Old Testament in the original Hebrew language, and we spoke it in our home. He is educated by Gamaliel. Gamaliel is one of the greatest teachers of the law in the history of the Jewish people. Gamaliel is known as one of the fathers of the Pharisees, who were strict adherents to the law. And the idea, between, uh, the idea behind what Saul believed and taught was this. If we obey the law, if the Jewish people obey the law, God will bless us. And let us stay on his land. If we disobey, he'll kick us off. Now that is biblical. That's from the Old Testament. And then what Saul begins to see is that there's a group of men and women who follow this Jesus. And why does that threaten his way of life? Because it's totally different from anything he'd ever experienced. What we're going to see is that when Saul encounters Jesus, it provides him with a new perspective. It provides him with a new way of thinking about God. Because previously, the way that Saul would have described himself was all in terms of the law. Look at how he describes himself in Philippians 3. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Interestingly, Benjamin is where the first king of Israel came from, King Saul 
whom our Saul is probably named after, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. In other words, I was so zealous for the law that I persecuted the people of God. And here's why, because Jesus taught that a day was coming when we would worship God in spirit and truth. Jesus implied that a day was coming in which God would reach out not only to Jews, but to Gentiles and would open the gates wide open for anybody who believed in him to have a relationship with God. And so the Christians are beginning to press up against what Paul held most dear. Jesus was put to death as a blasphemer and a heretic. And now there's people following him. And Paul says, if I allow this to continue, our very nation is going to be threatened. Our very way of life could be destroyed. And so he has a motivation to protect what he knows. This would be like if you lived in 1985 and you were a typewriter salesman. And all of a sudden you see the advent of personal computers coming on. And it threatens you. It threatens your livelihood. It threatens the way you make a living. So you think, I'm going to sabotage IBM. That's my mission in life because I want to keep my job. That's what we have with Saul. Now, for him, it's more than just a job. It relates to everything he believes about who he is and about how you know God. And so he begins to persecute the church. And while he is doing that is when he encounters Jesus. Now, why is he going from Jerusalem to Damascus? Well, when they began to persecute the Christians in Jerusalem, apparently some of the Christians fled. They went to Damascus and they began to set up churches in Damascus. And so Paul says, that cannot be. We've got to go. Damascus is a six-day journey by foot from Jerusalem. Paul goes and he gets a letter from the high priest so he can go to the synagogues in Damascus so he can grab the Christians who are in those synagogues, take them back to Jerusalem, and put him in prison. He's so zealous to persecute the followers of Jesus that he is willing to walk six days to get there. While he's on the way, bright light shines around him, and he hears a voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asks a really good question at this point. Uh, Who are you, Lord? Because I think he begins to get the idea this could be a bad moment for him. And the answer comes back, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Get up, go to Damascus, but when you get there, this time your focus is going to be different. I'll tell you what to do. For three days, he can't eat, he can't drink, he can't see, and he waits. And this moment is the turning point of his life. And what we're going to see is from this moment on, no longer does he see Jesus as a heretic or a blasphemer. He sees Jesus as his Lord and his Savior and his God. His perspective changes about everything. This is a 180-degree turnaround from who he was. Imagine tomorrow morning you were to go to Starbucks to study and you buy your coffee, you sit down, you open up your computer and you begin to work and you look over next to you and at the table next to you, you see Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, and he's on a Mac. Would that shock you? Wow, how did that happen? That is a reversal of everything he's built his life around, isn't it? 
That's what happens with Saul. His perspective changes. And now he says, instead of persecuting these men and women, I'm one of them. And so he has a new perspective on Jesus. And it's not just a new perspective, though. We're going to see he has an entirely new identity. Right? As, I, as I mentioned a moment ago, uh, many have speculated that you know, maybe he had an epileptic seizure, some sort of breakdown or whatever. How could this happen? Because the transformation is so huge. Well, it's right there in the text. When he encounters Jesus, his perspective changes. Do you believe, when you look at the lives of those around you, that encountering Jesus can change the way they think about him? Even those who seem most radically opposed to the ways of God, to the truth of the Scripture. I think about a friend of mine from high school who was kind of your classic hedonist, right? He just wanted to have a good time, get as many girls as he could, enjoy his life to the fullest with no thought of what God might say in the matter. He was a guy that I thought he is as far from God as could be. Of all my friends, I thought he is the least likely to know Jesus and believe in him. Our freshman year in college, though, he encountered Jesus. He believed in the death and resurrection of Christ for him, and I still am friends with him on Facebook, and I see how his perspective, his outlook on life is radically different. Do you believe that an encounter with Jesus can change you and me as well as those we know and provide a new perspective and also provide us with a new sense of identity? Look at verses 10 through 19. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight. And he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. God appears to this guy, Ananias. You know, we don't really know anything else about this Ananias from anywhere else in the Bible. All we know is he's a guy who follows Jesus and he's living in Damascus. And God appears to him and says, Ananias, you need to go find this guy named Saul and you need to pray for him that he'll be strengthened, that he can see again. And I'm going to show him what his mission is. And Ananias at this point says, um, I know that guy. I know about it. Uh, he has been persecuting the believers. He says, just in case you forgot, God, let me just refresh your memory for a moment. Uh, this is not a good person. You're asking me to walk into a situation where he might arrest me. He might have me killed. He doesn't trust Saul. And it's understandable, right? 
This would be as if you suddenly heard a few years ago that Osama bin Laden wanted to become an American citizen. Right? You'd go, mm, I don't believe that. And that's what Ananias says. He says, I identify this person with a zealous Jewish man who persecutes the church. And yet God replies to him and he says, no, you go. And here's why. I'm going to show him who he's going to be. He will no longer be identified as the person who persecutes the church. He will now be identified with me. He is my chosen instrument to go to the Gentiles, to go to kings, to go all around the world to share this message of Jesus Christ. And he has a new identity. Ananias has a really hard time, understandably, seeing Saul any differently. God says, no, he is who I say he is, not who you say he is. So he has a new perspective, he has a new identity. I don't know if you've ever wanted to construct for yourself kind of a new identity. I think most of us have at some point. I love right now, I've mentioned this, but my four-year-old is in a stage of his life where uh, he wants to be a superhero. That's who he wants to be. That's what he would like because superheroes are strong and they can save people. And so the other morning I came into our living room early in the morning on my way to work and he walked in and he's wearing a green shirt and I said, hey, you look good today, bud. And he goes, I am good. I am Green Lantern. And then he walked back (laughs) to his room, right? I mean, how could you not be good if that was your identity? I am Green Lantern. And all of a sudden you take on this new identity and you believe different things about yourself. I had a friend in college who uh, we met him our freshman year. His name was Matt studious, kind of quiet guy, went away for the summer. We came back our sophomore year and he looked different. He had changed his hair color. He had piercings and tattoos and he introduced himself and he said, my name is Dave. And we said, no, your name is Matt. He goes, no, I'm going by Dave now. We were like, so over the summer, you had this radical identity change. You are no longer Matt. You are Dave. You look a lot like Matt, right? But I'm I'm Dave. I'm somebody different. And he embraced this new persona. Now, it's interesting. It was all external. He was still the same person, regardless of how he changed his hair, his clothes, his look, even his name. It was all external. What's amazing is the transformation with Saul begins on the inside, and it works its way outward. We now know him for the rest of the New Testament as Paul. Now, it's not so much that his name changed. Uh, The issue here is that Saul is a Hebrew name. Paul is just the Greek form of his Hebrew name. What's interesting, though, is that from this moment on, he's not referred to as Saul throughout the rest of the book of Acts, nor does he refer to himself as Saul throughout all of his writings. He calls himself Paul. And I think the reason is this. It's not so much that he had a name change. It's that now he identifies himself with something completely different. And you have to think about it this way. Saul was the guy who was zealous about being Jewish, about following the law, about persecuting those who threaten the law. Paul is a Greek name that he takes for the rest of his life to say this. I now identify myself with Jesus, and I'm on a mission to let the Gentiles know who he is. So even though I'm Jewish, I'll identify myself with the Gentiles for the sake of Jesus Christ. 
So he goes by Paul, by this Greek name for the rest of his life. His identity, his understanding of who he is radically shifts. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you may be tempted to identify yourself with some struggle, some sin to say, you know what, I am the guy who is greedy, angry, lustful, prideful. I'm the girl who is fearful or anxious or gossipy or whatever it may be. And you say, that's who I am. And what you need to see is as we walk through the life of Paul, and then as we look at how Jesus operates, is that when Jesus, uh, uh, when you encounter Jesus, you no longer have to be identified with what you were previously identified with. That instead of your primary identification being with your sins, your struggles, your fears, your worries, your primary, primary identification is now with Jesus Christ. Because he died for your sin and he rose again so you can have life. And if you've believed in him, God says, all right, now you belong to me. Your primary identity is as my child. And for those who have trusted in Jesus, I think we often forget that. And so this afternoon or tomorrow or this week, those old struggles come back. And we want to identify ourselves with those things that are sinful, those attitudes, those actions, those thoughts that are not of God. And yet God says, if you've encountered me through Jesus, you can identify yourself with me and then rely upon my spirit to transform you, your perspective, your identity, your behavior, because he has that power. And so Paul's identity is forever different. He doesn't think of himself as the persecutor anymore, but instead as the apostle, as the one sent to the corners of the earth, to proclaim the message of Jesus. He has a new perspective. He has a new identity. And then thirdly, he has a new mission. Starting in verse 19. Now for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who call on this name? and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket." When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. 
Saul's mission transforms. And what I love is this, that as you look at Acts chapter 9 and you compare it to Acts 6 and 7, what you see is that the mission of Saul, of Paul, is now almost exactly the same as Stephen. What was Stephen doing in Acts 6 and 7? He was sharing and proving that Jesus is the Son of God, arguing that fact with the Hellenistic Jews, going all over his city, proclaiming the gospel. What is Paul doing in Acts 9? He is sharing that Jesus is the Son of God, arguing the case with the Hellenistic Jews, going all over Jerusalem, sharing who Jesus is. You see that? Paul has now taken the mission of the one he killed. His mission is radically different. And he says, from now on, my purpose in life will be to proclaim this, that the Jesus I met on the Damascus Road is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. And for the next three decades, until he's eventually martyred in Rome, that's what he does. F.F. Bruce said it this way, no single event apart from the Christ event itself, has proved so determinant for the course of Christian history as the conversion and commissioning of Paul. He goes throughout the world, and he shares that Jesus is the Son of God, and the church grows, and it grows, and it grows. Here's a map of where Paul goes and what he does. Beginning in Jerusalem, he goes through all of the known world. He goes through Asia. He goes through Macedonia. He comes down to Greece and to Athens. Eventually, he's going to make his way to Rome, and it's in Rome where he's killed as a martyr under Nero. And he'll go, and he'll circle the area, and then he'll go again, and he'll strengthen the churches, and he'll go again and again to proclaim Jesus Christ because his mission is so radically different. Encountering Jesus convinces him that the purpose of his life will now be to share that Jesus died and is alive, and all who trust in him can know him. Most of the New Testament books in your Bible were written by Paul, who always refers to himself as Paul the Apostle, the sent one, the one Jesus sent out to share this message of eternal life. And so that becomes his mission. It's through Paul that we have an understanding today of justification by grace through faith alone. It's a huge concept. It's critical to our understanding of the Christian faith. He defended it, he wrote about it, and he preached it. And that's how he spent the rest of his life. In the book of Colossians, he says this, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. In other words, he says, no longer am I the persecutor of God's people. Instead, I am one of the persecuted among God's people. I am the one who will suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. And he says, I will fill up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. He doesn't mean that the death of Christ is somehow insufficient for sin. Instead, he says this, that as a part of the body of Christ, I am called to suffer like Christ suffered as I share this mission around the world, and I want to fully carry out the preaching of the word of God until every man 
is complete in Christ. That's my mission. If you read Philippians, you see the same single-minded determination that now that I've met Jesus, I'm going to set everything that was behind me, behind me. Fix my eyes on him with single-minded determination and pursue this mission. Encountering Jesus gave him focus. When I was a junior in college, I lived in a house with about four or five other guys. And like most houses where college guys lived, it it was a mess, right? We rarely cleaned it. Uh, We may have never vacuumed. I don't know. Uh, We rarely did the dishes. It was just, it was just a mess. And uh, from time to time, we might make an effort at cleaning, then it would drift back uh, in some sort of entropy toward a horrible mess again. And uh, it went on and on like this through the summer. But one day we were sitting Uh, on the sofa, and one of the guys got a phone call from a young lady that he happened to like. And she said, hey, can I come over in 20 minutes? (laughs) And all of a sudden, his perspective changed, right? He got off the phone and he said, we are cleaning now, right? (laughs) Now. So we get up and we begin to clean. We grab the vacuum. I mean, things we had never done to this place, we begin to do to this place and we're cleaning it and we're scrubbing it and we're wiping it down and it certainly did not look uh, quite presentable, but it was a lot better. And an encounter with this young lady gave him what? A focus to do something that had never been done before, which was whip this place into shape. And for 20 minutes, he had a new mission, a new goal, a new purpose in life to get this place clean. Uh, Paul encounters God in Jesus Christ and it changes the rest of his life. And he fixes his eyes on Jesus. And he says, this is my mission. This is why I'm alive. This is why I was made. And for the rest of his life, until they put him to death in Rome, he goes around the world. He is beaten. He is shipwrecked. He's imprisoned. He's ridiculed for the sake of his Savior. Because an encounter with Jesus Christ changed everything he believed about God, about himself, and about his mission. I wonder, do you and I really believe that the Spirit of God given to us by Jesus Christ has that kind of power? See, you and I are certainly saved by grace through faith alone. It's an absolutely free gift. And then we're called to share the message that Jesus died and rose again. We're called to represent him with our lives. We're called now to identify ourselves not with sin, not with death, but with our Savior. And do we believe that the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead has that kind of transforming power? Paul gets to the end of his life and he's able to say, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. He wrote this shortly before he is martyred. To Timothy, his protege, and he says, I have fixed my eyes on Jesus because he changed me and I've pursued this mission and I anticipate a reward. And then he is going to say, Peter, I mean, Peter, Timothy, your turn, right? Your turn. And then Timothy one day died 
And he looks at the next generation and says, your turn. That generation hands it on and on and on to those of us in this room. If you know Jesus this morning, you are called to represent him through the power of the Spirit who has the power to identify you not with sin, but with your Savior, to give you all that you need to be godly and to be bold and to be gracious as you share with the world at work, in your neighborhood, in your family, and maybe across the ocean who Jesus is. Do you and I believe that an encounter with Jesus has that sort of transforming power? Most of us, if any of us in this room, we're not going to have the same type of theophany that Paul had. But we have the opportunity to know him through his spirit, through his word, through his people, and then to be changed. Do you believe that Jesus can transform your life and the lives of those you know? Even those who seem the farthest from God. And will you and I embrace the commission to be representatives of the good news? That when we encounter him, we don't ever have to be the same. We don't ever have to think the same, believe the same. And our mission is now to preach that. So the generation after us and after them and after them until Jesus returns will proclaim the good news until the time we are face to face with him, worshiping him forever and ever because of all he's done. Do you believe that Jesus can transform lives? Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the life of Paul that he was faithful to your call. Not for a day, not for a week, but for his life. And I pray you would empower us through your spirit to do the same. Father, I pray that we would be bold and unafraid. I pray we would also be gracious, loving, and kind as we engage with a world that um, does not believe in you or your word. I pray, allow us to preach the gospel clearly and faithfully. As we go out today, teach us to be holy, faithful representatives of you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful week.